This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Get ready to meet the Fury. I had heard of this guy a little bit. He has a mailing list, and he has a lot of interesting Twitter threads. Um, But I was very impressed. His audience is so passionate about his content that they were tweeting on and on. Please have the fury on your podcast. So here he is. Fury. Everybody on Twitter was saying, you got to have fury on the podcast. This is fury. How'd you get the name fury? (laughs) Well, you know, the movie by, um, David, David Ayer, the war movie. He had the tank. Uh, it was called The Fury. And Brad Pitt in this movie has a very iconoclastic haircut. It's like an undercut with a slick back and like shaved on the sides. Uh-huh. And back in 2015, I had that haircut. And one of my bros, he just kept calling me Fury. And that's it. Around this time, you went on Twitter and you built up this really big following that, yeah. again, they're like really loyal to you like they were it was from them i was here you've got to have a sky fury on the yeah. podcast like yeah. they really advocate for you so you've built up this very strong loyal audience and i see your threads they're great they're compelling thank you like guys. what's what's your story like where i know i know you've traveled around a bit yeah. you've you've written a bunch of novels you're you're from the netherlands originally yeah, yeah, yeah. like who are you <laughs> um well i can share that yeah so I was born and bred in Rotterdam. It's the second city of the Netherlands. I was there the week before COVID lockdown. For real? Yeah. You, how did you like it, James? I, I liked it a lot. I liked uh, Amsterdam. I was all over the Netherlands. I liked Amsterdam a lot. We yeah. stayed there and we traveled mm-hmm. around. I was doing uh, stand-up comedy all around the Netherlands. But yeah. uh, I really want to go back there without having anything to do and just like vacation there. It seems like a really beautiful place. You know, I'd love to show you around then, you know? So, yeah, I'm from yeah, and, there. And Rotterdam was very friendly. Like, I really yeah. liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, Dutch people are, we have this word, we call it sober, meaning, you know, they're very socially intelligent, you know, can hold a conversation. They can actually speak English. If you go to parts of Spain or some shit, they, like, they don't know how to speak English, you know, those kind of stuff. And they've been all around the world as well, you know? So they're very worldly, very travelly. You know, and that's the vibe they give off, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I felt like I wanted to move there. If it was really nice. You know, it has everything, to be honest, you know? It has, it, I call it the Chicago of the Netherlands for Americans, you know, if they would have to have a picture. And maybe, you know, in NYC, I think I read, you know, you're based there right now, or Jay told me. Yeah. It's something like that, you know? You have anything and everything. You have bars, coffee shops. Um, let's say you were single. I know you're not. Uh, you know, you can go to clubs, whatever, you know? Everything's there. You know? Yeah. And then, so, so that, but you travel around, you wrote a novel about Thailand, another novel about Poland. Yeah. Like, what kind of like drives you? Like, what was the moment where you, you mentioned in, in one of your posts or on your website that yeah. you weren't happy with the way you were living life, health, wealth, yeah. relations? Like, yeah, yeah. What, what, what weren't you happy with? To give basically the kernel point, you have the juxtaposition between a nine to five and to cater to the team and the brand of you or to choose yourself kind of, you know? And I wasn't really liking the people at my, you know, at my office job. And I call it like a slave herd herd mentality to each their own, you know? And I imagine a lot of people, they have good careers, they make good money, they can support their family, but it was never for me. The type of person that I am, very eclectic, very eccentric, maybe slightly autistic, not to hurt people, but... uh, it was never for me. I was like a, a caged animal, something like that. It needs to be set free. And once I'm free, I'm more rabid, more loose, more myself, more authentic, you know, to, to throw that, you know, catchphrase around. And uh, that was li- it a little bit, you know. I knew I was never going to make it. Not to say that I'm making it now, but at least to start in the direction of this life, at least I'm gunning for something, you know. Like, do you think anyone enjoys the, the kind of um, office job mentality? I think people think it's like safe, so they like that. And they might yes. prize that. But I think my theory is people are mm-hmm. not paid to do work. People are paid a salary so they don't do what they love. I'm going to pay you to not do what you really yeah. want to do because I want you to do what I want you to do. So that's why it's worth money. 
And that yeah. and, and and that's what payment really is. It's like, you know, not taking a risk is a risk as well. That kind of blanket stating, that vibe, you know? Yeah. Uh, they, they are afraid of risk because, well, that's the hurt versus anti-hurt mentality, you know? And I have nothing against it once more, but... Uh, and so what, what was the risk you took? Well, I basically quit the job. <laughs> like, no fail-safe and uh, just went for this. The cultish-esque loyal following that you see. I, I shot for that. And uh, with my bro that I was talking just now, we do uh, lead generation and uh, sales and copywriting, those kind of stuff. Like agency stuff for those familiar in those spaces. Yeah. And what was the story you told that people related to? Like what do people relate to in your stuff? I guess initially in the beginning, I'll keep it brief on that aspect because the fury is tied to, well, specifically like anger, you know? Um, there was this girl and it was like a, mm, like a red pill, blue pill plugging moment. Mm, it didn't end well, of course. And I started expressing like, a type of energy or an anger that you could maybe even find like with control Twitter search, like the older tweets, like 2015. And you could tell there that it was raw, you know, a little rough around the edges and they felt something. I don't, still to this day, I, it's different for everybody what they see in me. You know, the, the saying that you're not really yourself. There are thousands of projections of yourself in all the people. Well, now there are like 17,000 versions of me in people's heads. But um, they felt something, something what they call raw, authentic, loose, uh, doesn't hold back his words, you know, very direct, those kind of stuff. And uh, then a couple people, you know, from the sphere that I'm in, you could see the type of people, they retweet you and they, they build you up. And as you could see with the, the guy, I didn't ask to be on the show, you know, so I was really surprised. I woke up that morning or I couldn't sleep or something. I saw it. I was like, oh shit, you know, like uh, it gets real. And I, I think it's something like that, you know, they can respect me for that. I'm always respected by certain people, but you know, two sides of the same coin. For the same people that I'm respected, I'm extremely hated by others, but uh, you know, that's the game. Yeah, I think anytime you stick your head out, someone's gonna wanna chop it off. <laughs> so. I like that, And that's a good one. Part of it though, it seems like you're really telling people who maybe, particularly men who are feeling a little lost or underachievers, yeah. Yeah. what it means to be an authentic man or person. Yeah. And like, and you also kind of, uh, you, you follow a lot of the principles of Bushido or, or like yeah. the old samurai way. The, mm -hmm. the Book of Five Rings is, yeah. is something you've mentioned. So what are those principles and how do you apply them in today's life? Mm, one of my, well, we can actually go really deep on this one. So there's a concept of Musashi. It's called the void. And it's something esoteric as to emptiness. And it would be maybe the contrast of uh, existence, so to say. So you have reality and then you have non-reality. And I would say once you can grasp this esoteric concept, which is, it's almost inexplicable, but you have to feel it somewhere, which I feel I started to get attuned to it. You can get there and from this, like, it's like a, a schism in reality. You can be blessed by certain marvels, such as this opportunity, which another person would not be able to get. You know, sorry to say that like that, but the more you understand that, then you get nice chances. And, you know, not to toot my horn, but some other opportunities had come my way uh, in the last couple of months and stuff like that. But it's only when you dare to almost uh, risk your life or risk everything. And in that moment, uh, it's like a chess sacrifice. It's very like a Mikael Tal. You throw an insane like piece, like, hey, let me just throw this piece like for free, like en prix. And uh, a breach opens up because of that, either kinetically, kinesthetically, emotionally, psychologically, or, well, esoterically in this case. And uh, there in this breach, like a Hail Mary, you can get what is for grabs, and maybe it's glory in, in this case, you know? So what's, well, other than quitting your job, like when you first started building mm. like kind of your brand, and I don't even yeah. like calling it that because brand implies that you're yeah. almost lying, but what was your first Hail Mary? Like when were you starting to take those risks and what risks did you take? I would say, uh, so you know David Goggins, right? Yeah. He's been on my podcast. Yeah, I, I, I shit, I haven't checked that one out. But um, he ran a marathon, uh, he ran like a hundred mile marathon, like an ultra marathon without training, right? And I think in 2015, I wanted to one-up myself, basically, inspired by David Goggins. I did that as well. And uh, during the training process, I couldn't walk properly for three months. Like, I would have had needed like a cane, like because of a weird limp, you know, it was pretty funny to see. And it was one of the, the parts that I knew was a little bit uh, not completely sane, so to say, but uh, in a healthy way, maybe, you know, so.
And what did you do? Like what, what, uh, what did you start writing that people were responding to? Yeah. So, uh, so I was like basically putting myself out there, you know, well, in this case, my body, because I couldn't walk, you know, but in terms of like I, with writing, it's always also my style. It's very inattainable, you know, it's, um, uh, because I started writing personally in 2013 or longer than that. I've been writing for at least a decade, you know, I was in writing groups when I was younger and, um, so, oh, maybe you know him as well. Uh, maybe you're a fan of Jack Reacher, uh, Lee Child, the New York Times bestseller. I yeah. basically, uh, yeah. you know, homage, homage to him. I basically researched him heavily. And my style is in the, you could say, the lineage of people like Hemingway, uh, Bukowski, Kerouac, and then Lee Child at the, the later end for the more mainstream, you know, pop style that he has. Well, it's still a highbrow for me. You know, I love to read it. And I basically stole it or copied it from that that uh, they call it like a machine gun Gatling style because of the, the punctuation. If you see a couple things in my long format stuff, it's pretty unhinged, you know? I don't think somebody can copy that without, uh, you know, feeling it, you know? Like what, what have been some hard times for you that you've written about that people relate to that, that drew you, people to you? I, th I think, you know, like even in that Thailand story, it's about the juxtaposition or it's like a buildings roman, you know, of the hero's journey. Maybe I'm a very totemic archetypical representation of this hero's journey and they can see i come from well from from a fall so to say well i just explained it was with a girl but i didn't really go into the specifics but it's like what they say about what do they say like about harry bosch once he enters a room like michael Connelly's his series you can feel the unwritten backstory without it being presented it's like the iceberg theory of hemingway but more in a character representation, me as a character in the story of other people's life that they leave open from time to time, you know, as to say, I'm a character in their mind in this meta kind of ecosystem, you know, external ecosystem of story uh, narrative that we're building with each other. Something like that, I feel, to be honest. So it might be a little bit floaty, to be honest. Yeah, like, tell me what you mean by that. Like, uh, what, what specifically is the character you think you represent for, for the people who follow you? I think it's an amalgam of uh, multiple archetypes. If you uh, are familiar with Robert Moore, you have the king magician, lover, warrior. I'm not really the kingly archetype, I would say. There are people more prestigious in that field. But uh, for example, the warrior archetype, the knight's errant, like the cowboy. Uh, literally, when I walk into places, uh, like in those old westerns, you, you know those French saloons and the French doors? Once you open the door, and the cowboy rides into town right before they were playing the piano and you know playing poker or some stuff you know and but once the cowboy from not that town walks in everybody stops like yo what are you doing here kind of beat yeah have, music stops yeah everything stops i have that as well and yeah you know that's why i like to listen to bon jovi uh, wanted dead or alive as my you know ost you know so yeah it's and how do you like get that. that how do how, i get how do you project that image <clears throat> i would say it's a it's a concoction of multiple stuff genetic of course Mm, my immigrant background and then kind of thrown in like flung in the western society i would say other asians have it as well but their presence is more muted more subdued uh, and it's just my personality is like that because maybe slightly higher iq than average parade law applying um you know i don't know maybe i felt too much as a kid or something and then the way i speak uh, oh i oh actually i watched a lot of hollywood movies when i was young i have a spreadsheet somewhere or like a a word file, 1300 plus movies, and maybe that was programmed in. I didn't watch a lot of Westerns, but let's say you would put everything like in a spreadsheet with a, like a very smart person, you know, and you would fish out like all those patterns and then tape them together. And then, you know, this what was going in Fury's mind when he was seven, when you're most malleable, the, the data brainwave state. Maybe I was, you know, forging that and it was simmering, like incubating until like, uh, you know, the, the pot blew off the, the, the lid, you know? Maybe though you just believe it about yourself mm. and that's what projects it. <laughs> that's it as well. I like to quote Han Solo with the self-mythologizing aspect that he's the best in the galaxy before he did the Kessel Run, you know, or he always, yeah. he, he shaves off the 12 parsecs. I do the same, but like I have stitches here. Every time I tell the story, like I change it up or uh, like the Joker loves to say, um, if I'd have a background, I'd prefer it to be multiple choice. Every time I travel, I'm like from Thailand. Next time I'm from Japan. Uh, next time I'm from Palatown. Uh, especially the younger girls, they don't know where Palatown is, you know, for, for the followers. Yeah. And so what do you, uh, 
I mean, you've been building up this list. You've been writing these Twitter threads. It seems like yeah. Twitter threads are the way to build a following mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, what, what's your recommendations for like when you build these Twitter threads? Mm. Uh, I got it. So shout out to my friend, Ego Drift. He gave me a really good one. He said, it has to be actionable. You know, it's an old Twitter adage. It has to be actionable, a kind of how to. For example, let's say some young men would come on my profile and they would be um, oblivious to as to quote unquote to be how to be stylish or suave or something like that. I would just write how to dress or how to dress like a gentleman. Ten tips. You know, I could I could crank that out now. Actually, while we're talking, like on my phone, would be uh, rude, but you know, and I whip that out and that would do okay. You know, and you know, people would see that. Oh shit, yeah, it's typical Fury. You know, oh, he knows how to dress by puff. You know, so something like that. You know, and. Um, these days, very much so, um, something happened with the zeitgeist and the personality of people with Convo, how to interact, be socially competent, so to say. I would say all my bros, they're better than me at it in their own right and passage, but I'm an observant guy, so I can spot like little social cues and tricks and quirks and um, tidbits of like verbal tics and phrases and stuff like that. And I copy it and regurgitate it, repackage it quite fast in a Musashi-esque lateral thinking style. So what I mean by that, for example, the other day I was at a hotel and there's this line in Quantum of Solace where James Bond, Daniel Craig, March 2006, he says something like, uh, excuse me, miss. So he changes his voice. So the whole time he's like shouting, you know, shooting bad guys and stuff like that. But he changes his voice more polite, that's one. So that's tonality, if I were to write a thread, you know, so I'm writing it. And secondly, he does like the, the Benjamin Franklin effect, the psychological effect, and the marketing trick of micro-commitment, like a funnel, you know, direct response. And he's like, could you do me a favor? While it was a very simple question, it was something like, could you keep watch for me for this? Or uh, can you tell the next guy that I left? Like a little, you know, new Caffrey-esque, like caper kind of trick, you know? But the way he built that up, as if it was something important to make the girl feel like she was like, yeah, I'm helping this suave gentleman. I did the exact same thing. Like the other day I was at a hotel in Portugal and I knew the breakfast was already closed, but I was like, excuse me, is the breakfast still open? Could you do me a favor? You know, could you tell me the time? And she was like, oh, sorry, sir, it's already open. I was like, oh man, I'm starving. I was not starving. No, I never starve really. But then I followed up quickly, like uh, the foot in the door trick. I was like, oh, and now I can ask something else, you know, what I actually really wanted. Like, like chess, right? 4D chess, you, you could relate with that, James, right? So I was already a couple steps ahead. Before I threw the gamut, I already knew a little bit where it was going to implode or explode. But it's uh, more uncalculated, more, it has to be felt, like intuitively, I would say, you know? Yeah. And so what did you ask for? I think for a taxi or something. Because we were actually clutch with, uh, with the wedding that I was visiting. And we needed a couple things, like, logistically happen, you know? That was the important thing, but I made up this lesser important thing. And to, you know, this was the real thing, and, you know? So maybe like a magic trick. I watched the, the podcast with you and uh, D David Kwong, if that's his name. I really like that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool. I like that. I like magic. Yeah, that was a great one. I love that. You know, and that, and that Benjamin Franklin thing really works. So mm -hmm. the, the, the story comes from he was having a problem with this guy, and he asked the guy if he could borrow a book because mm -hmm. he knew the guy was a big book collector. And the guy was surprised because they had been having their personal problems with each other. And the guy lent him the book. Benjamin Franklin returned it a week later and then he never had a problem with the guy again because the guy in his brain thought I'm the kind of person who lends Benjamin Franklin a book. So he was always nice to Ben after that. Genius. Yes, you know. What's another trick that, that works a lot? Oh. And these aren't tricks. Like these work. Social cues, you know. Uh, I really love, I have been doing, I read this once. Tim Ferriss has the, the five bullet newsletter, right? And I think he mentioned yeah. it there or it's in the beginning of Tribe of Mentors, I'd say. He says interviewing is in the sequencing uh the, the secret sauce is in the sequencing of the questions so you first ask uh, what is his first favorite question oh which book did you gift it very low-key also like a micro commitment you know and they'd be like also out of left field they've never heard that one they might hear what's on your nightstand you know that's more like deep talk you know not small talk but more like what kind of book did you give last time they were like yeah, just this and that. And then he follows it like with those hardcore, you know, those silver bullet questions. I do that a lot as well, the sequencing of questions, especially if you have a B2B sales call with like, you know, people, I do that. And the, the pitch raising of Tim Ferriss, like, uh-huh, he does that, uh-huh. Like, I love that one, that like, that you're listening, like, uh-huh. That, that, that's like a magic one, to be honest. That's interesting. And that's related to some of your threads about tonality. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. 
what what do you mean by that? Like what 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 do people do wrong when they speak? I think they're they're not free flowing. So one of my favorite hobbies, it sounds maybe a little bit weird, is to be flowing. Like when you see somebody dancing and he does the dumbest moves, but he's still cool. It looks dumb, but it's still cool because he's having how Tim Ferriss would say present moment awareness, aka flow state by Michali with the long last name. And it's the same with vocal tonality and presence. So they're a little bit thinking, am I pronouncing it well? Do I sound like an idiot? Or maybe I need to have a deep voice at this one or this and that. And that's why I just say, like, let's say if you're from Liverpool, like uh, Darren Till, the UFC fighter, how he speaks Portuguese. It's hilarious, actually. I love that. He speaks fluent Portuguese, but with the Scouse accent underneath it. I could never do that because, well, you have to, you know, like actors like um, Killian Murphy with Thomas Shelby. You know, he, he's a great actor. You would have to get in that role for a long time, you know. And me and my friends do like little games, like speaking like um, some Twitter accounts or uh, uh, Thomas Shelby, you know. We like to play around with that. And it has to be like play. I think uh, Eric Barker talks a lot about that. Play as a conversational trick or but, uh, like a lifestyle more. And a lot of things can come from that because people can notice maybe like some nervousness. You no, know, maybe like if somebody was quite as keen or perceptive as me, I heard it from a meta point of view in the first couple of minutes of this podcast. I would say maybe the two minutes or something. You could hear some anxiety like, yo, am I saying some dumb shit or something, you know? And then just let go mentally. I said that to myself or something. And now I'm probably speaking like myself, you know? You know, I have to go to a party later, for instance. Okay. Sometimes I get stressed at a party situation. Yeah. I'm a little introverted. How can I go in there and ha- exude a presence of playfulness? It depends on your personality type. Let's say there's this beautiful book by Susan Cain, and you have the two main ones, you know, introvert versus extrovert. There's a lot of nuance, you know? Yeah. You can be both. It's a beautiful book. Anyway, I assume, James, you know, that you're more introvert, right? Let's say you know the host of yeah. the party. You just give your energy to the host. That's what I would do. So I was at the wedding and I was not there to like talk with everybody. I just walked to the, the groom. He invited me. I've known him for decades. You know, I walk to him, get, pour all my energy into him. I say, bro, it's blessed. I, I respect you. You wanted this so long. I knew you in the trenches. You know, you rose up from the trenches. You deserve this. And from that, I feel really in my own skin and my archetypical nature gets expressed with him. And then we start vibing. And then he introduced maybe, you know, to a friend of him. And from that, almost like a domino effect, I get into the flow of things. And flow, uh, flow and play are adjacent for me that you get, it, get the ball rolling. That's how I would do it, you know? Uh, the TLDR, like, for example, you go to the party. Probably you know the host or the person who invited you. Or let's say you bring your wife. Just talk to her with a little bit. People love couples, for example. You could just stand in the middle of the party and just throw a couple like uh, stand-up comedy James-esque jokes that your love, that your wife just loves. She'll just start, you know, wiling like, yo, James is the funniest guy because she's your wife, she loves you. And then one guy like, yo, this James, that's James, you know, he's funny. And then he comes to you, almost like this magnetic distortion field that, you know, Steve Jobs will talk about and uh, Buddhistic people as well, you know. That's a good idea. I'm going to try that. I never, uh, I'm going to just stand there in the center of the party and make my wife laugh. She always laughs at everything I say, right, too. So right? She's laughing at me, but most people don't know that she's just laughing at me, yeah. not with me. So they wouldn't know that as well, right? It's all about optics. They're like, yo, that, woman, the, the, that woman's having a blast. That's like kind of social proof, right? That's James. He's such a yeah. funny guy. So yeah, feel free to steal that. I, I always steal everything. So. Same for me, man, bro. Uh, it's that book by Matthew McConaughey, Green Lights. His mom is absolutely the superstar of that book, Green Lights. Uh, his, his autobiography of Matthew McConaughey. His mom, when yeah. he was younger, uh, gave him the, one of the biggest lessons in his life. So he had, he had like a poetry contest or something, but he couldn't write poetry for, for shit, you know? And um, he says, mom, what do I do? She, she takes a poetry book, you know? Here, copy this poem. He wrote it down, blah, blah. And, you know, it was a beautiful poem. Says, then she says, did you write it down? He says, yes. And then she says, do you understand? He says, yeah, it's just a simple poem. I can do this. She said, that poem is yours now. Send that to the contest. So once you understand something, once you can copy it, you know, further and further, it's yours now. You, you know, let's say you were to quote somebody, okay, that's fine. Or you find something on Twitter, want to show them some love or social media, you know, spread the love. That's fine. But if you're in convo, you're not going to like homage everybody the whole time. That would be weird as hell. If I homage all my bros on Twitter the whole time, yo, 
Yeah, we'd, we'd have to have some like kind of high-tech uh, heads-up display uh, <coughs> weird-ass AI something. I don't know. You know, you know, it's true. Like one time I was on this TV show, um, John Stossel hosts a TV show mm -hmm. here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy on who was an economist and he kept quoting other people. He's, uh, you know, he's as so-and-so says, or as these people said in this paper. And in the commercial break, John Stossel turned to him and said, don't quote other people. Yeah. Just say, just say what they said. We don't have time for you to quote everyone else. I got you. So yeah. like, and he said that basically the same thing. And, and it's true. You know, in music, people cover songs all the time. And sometimes the covers are better than the originals. Yeah. And so it's the same thing, like, with ideas, with yeah. the way you live your life. It's okay if it's similar. You, ultimately, you're going to be uniquely you, but it's okay to cover something else someone did. Yeah. You know, even if it's considered, you know, not an appropriate thing to do. Yeah. I'd like to have a small tangent or interject there, James, that... Um, yeah. Some people might ponder hardcore how did Fury end up on, you know, the James Altucher show, right? Um, and I like to give back to the karmic or karmic intent or the cosmos because it was wild. It was a long shot. I know you're a little bit gambler, right? This was a, this were long odds. So there's a friend, uh, I, I'll, I'll DM him after the show, you know, I'll tell him. He'll love, he'll love it. So you have to, and choose yourself the how to be an idea machine by you, right, James? Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it. But... I had forgotten a little bit about it. I read it long ago, like 2013 or something, you know, choose yourself time, you know, I forgot yeah. about it. But he sparks up, the, you know, those neural synapses, that part of my, you know, memory. It comes up, I was like, oh yeah, I should do that more and more. It's, it, I could do that, I do that. So I have here a journal right beside me for like my news list, my threads, whatever, you know. Every morning I'm like forcing myself, I just write one, one to number 10, you know, value threads or um, social conversation party threads, you know. Or I could write a thread now, 10 things I learned from the Altusha show, you know? And then I wrote a thread that was um, about how to overcome writer's block. And <clears throat> I didn't tag you because I don't like to tag people for clout, basically. But I did use your name as an homage, you know? It has to be known that it came from you, this idea that I was basically using. And if people want to know more, they can read your book, you know? It's, it's more embellished or more expanded and expounded upon. And then I saw you like that tweet, and knowing me, I go ballistic, of course. I'm just like, like a kid sometimes. I screenshot that, and then I put it on my timeline. I like, yo, I made it as a joke. Of course, I not made it. Then you have a couple haters. <laughs> if haters listening to, to this right now, go, go to hell if they're listening to this. They were like, yo, son, chill back. He just liked it. I was like, okay, you're right, you know? I was like, okay, he's right. I was maybe overreacting. However, on the opposite spectrum, two sides of the same coin, we have Brother Graham, he sees this, and he keeps retweeting that one tweet. Like, he does it persistently, like, for, I would say, in Twitter time, it feels like a long time, but maybe like a full week. He does, he keeps doing that, I keep seeing yeah. it, so I keep pounding on that same tweet. You know, I have infinite energy for those kind of stuff, you know? However, one morning I woke up, I, I had the blast that morning, like, he wrote almost like a, you know, like a, how do you call this? Like a cold DM to you, but in public, right? Like a letter. Yeah. Then yeah. it started because Benjamin, JGW, a Spanish friend of mine, very good friend, I've known him for long, long years. He quote tweets that one and you respond to that one. Okay, let's do it. Exclamation mark. And that I saw, I was like, whoa, this was insane. Not, like that is something that comes out of nowhere for me. You know, like that's what I meant from the void. Like, oh, you know, you have to pay homage to something. I don't know to what, but I didn't create that. Uh, hundred percent by myself, you know. I'm not Frank Sinatra. I did this by myself, you know. So, yeah. well, well, and and again, there's the concept, you know, that n nothing. Like I was once talking to Ken Langone, who's the founder of Home Depot, a mm -hmm. big, you know, huge, yeah, yeah. huge store. I've and he he said, I asked him, well, what's it like to be? I asked him some stupid question, like, what's it like to be a self-made billionaire? And he said, no one's a self-made billionaire. Uh, you yeah. know, he had three hundred thousand people help him get to where he was, and he made them all millionaires. So right? he, he created a lot of value for them. Yeah. So that was an interesting lesson for me is that the more value you create for others, it comes back to you. Like all these people who were tweeting about you were, were not tweeting just as like a random thing. Like they really, you know, love what you have to say and stuff. And, and what, do, what do you think is the value you provide them? I've heard it multiple times and I think it can give it in one succinct line. It's something like, they say I have a love for life. So sometimes they gaze at my photos 
and they see I have a huge yearning or ambition to to make it. You know, we have this meme, we're all going to make it, but not everybody's going to make it. I don't know about myself, but at least I have the desire to do so. And that is one of the most heartfelt emotions one can have and give to another person. And maybe they could feel that or something, you know? What do you think it takes to make it? Um, what does it mean making it? I think living true to yourself, bread's on the table for the target monthly income that you desire. You know, if you like clubbing, throwing bottle service every month, it's going to be slightly higher. Um, however, I feel I have that sometimes as well. I could just rage quit right, right now, go to Venezuela, propose to a farmer girl, as a, give the dad a couple of goats. I'd be fine by that as well. However, I have to live up to certain things I promised to other people. And that's why I can't stop in terms of giving back, so to say. And to each their own. Everybody has their own credo, you know? Their inner core, the, the eye of the storm, so to say. This unshakable, unassailable, wintry kingdom, like uh, Marcus Aurelius would say. In that you have this belief set, these, these rules that you live by. And you have to live by that, live by the sword, die by the sword kind of beat. And you have to try to make it in accordance with that. Let's say some people hate traveling. For example, my father, he, yo, he's like, yo, I'm not going to that country, this, that. He lives true to that. He never travels, you know? He stays at home, you know? And, but all these, like, you know, your health has to be tip-top shape for the energy that you want to give. Let's say you want to have grandchildren, right? You have to make it to that point. You cannot be one of those, uh, well, I despise that, these grandparents that can't or are unable because of their low energy to play with their grandkids. That's not going to be me. I'll be like, you know, I'll be wilding with them. You know, I'll be rolling on the floor, swinging, whatever. And, but some people don't want kids, right? Like, um, if let's say your goal was not to have kids, then if you have kids, you failed actually, right? And it's living through the things that is not pre-programmed in your head, you know, what we talked about earlier. Some people think maybe that following the herd and having an office job is making it or something. But they're like psyoped in that, to, to, to quote the meme, uh, with these uh, propaganda Goebbels-esque, uh, you know, we don't, that's a whole rabbit hole. That would take five podcasts or something. And I'm not even an expert on that. But I do know you have to live true to yourself and maybe people resonate deeply with that, that, you know. How do you know you're living true to yourself? Like, <laughs> it seems like people say that, but it's hard to really know what's true to you because the mind rationalizes. Like I could say, oh, I'm living true to myself, but I'm just, maybe I'm living true to what someone else made me think I'm living true to. I feel you. I have these like meta discussions with myself a lot, maybe every morning or something. I have to quiet that voice. But for the more theist person, I would say if you feel that you align with God, you know, let's say you have a monotheistic Christian background, or you get these like, for the more esoteric people, these weird sinks that people start to give you free stuff. It's, a, it's like, to come back with the analogy with the chess, you're opening up sectors in the infinity possible possibilities of reality, and you're choosing the right sectors. I learned this from this one book, Reality Transurfing or something. You're switching tracks to the proper... I love that book, by the way. Vadim Zeeland. Wait a second. Who is that guy? <laughs> He's a weird Russian... Um, so, shout out to my bro. He's a Russian friend. He said, bro, you should read this guy. He's, it's a cool book. And I just started reading it, you know, with the pendulum. So, so to give the simple answer for people, go read that book. It's a great book. I love it as well. I quote from it the whole time. Uh, you have to swing with the right pendulum. If you swing with the wrong pendulum, you will feel it in your soul or your gut. You know, you, you get stomach aches and stuff like that. And you will wake up depressed or anxious with the more negative feeling spectrum, you know. If you wake up, well, you know, geared up for warfare or you're like, yeah, I'm going to attack the day. You know, you're at least gunning for it, you know, in your own way, you know, riding off into the sunset in your own fashion, you know? I was surprised that you love that book as well. It's a little bit niche for some people, maybe, to be honest, you know? So. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird book, but it's just an analogy. Like, the guy's a quantum physicist, supposedly. Suppose, but like, it's hard to figure out anything about who he is. I don't know. I don't know if he's still... Maybe he's not even alive. Maybe they made us think that he's somewhere, right? Yeah. Like uh, Homer or Shakespeare or whatever. Like, he's out there. He's out there, you know? <laughs> maybe he's 10 people just yeah. controlling his Instagram right now. Who knows? But, you know? There's like a picture of him, but just from like the back. <laughs> and <laughs> we can find out actually, James. We have context, right? If we really love him, like who is he? Like people listening right now, go find him. I want to talk with him. Get him on the James show, you know? Let's slide into DMs. I don't believe, I don't, I, you might be right. He might not exist. It's a, it's a definitely a weird book, but it's a fast, it's like combines science fiction, quantum physics, and self-help. Like it's a great, I love that. fun book. Yeah. 
I love that. Uh, that's, uh, that's so me, so to say, because my interests are so vast for people who are familiar with the Renaissance term, the Vitruvian man. When I went to like a classic school uh, in high school, uh, my, you know, the teacher, the classic teacher, he was saying to me, yo, Fury, you must become a Vitruvian man, you know? Know everything about Sandro Botticelli and Caravaggio. I was like, yo, bro, quiet. I'm just going to go engineering school, whatever. However, TLDR, 10 years later now, my, my brain works like that, you know? That's why I resonate with people like you or, uh, you know, other people that I follow and Vadim Zeland. Because it's so eclectic. All these, like, if you were to see a Venn diagram of what you just mentioned, if you put that, people are like, that's weird. I don't like that. People just like um, their own thing, you know? I love my coffee black, bro. I, eat, I drink uh, latte macchiato, espresso, double espresso, then cappuccino, other day black. Sometimes I quit coffee, just green tea. I'm all over the place because I love all of them in their own right and passage and time of the day, you know? You said earlier, when I asked about what does it mean to make it, you said yeah. earlier you had made promises to some people. Yeah. What promises did you make to people? <clears throat> some things are maybe a little bit too, uh, a little bit private, but I would say the simple stuff, uh, just buy people houses or uh, one. Oh, uh, James, do you know the show Entourage? Yeah, love that show. I didn't watch everything, but I said if I were to make it. So, oh, something like this. You know, I would. Nah, he, he. I don't know if he knows you know, but uh, he knows maybe of you. Or, or if he were to Google, he'd be like, "Yo, how did you get on that?" You know. But I said, if I ever get in Hollywood or something, you'll be part of my entourage. You know. He was at the wedding as well. I've known that friend for twenty-five plus years. You know. He doesn't resonate how weird I have become. You know, like very ballistic. But I, I promised that to him, and I keep working my promise. So if you see me like flexing on Instagram or some stuff, I'll bring it on. You know, I'll say, hey, "Bro, I made it. Let's go. <laughs> this is this is the supercar, or here have some uh, cool top models. You know, dance a little bit with them. You know, whatever." Uh, and uh, this person that I'm working with now, currently, my bro, the, the the marketing agency friend, I promised a lot to him in terms of, like financial. You know, like uh, I don't know how many figs I promised to him, but uh, you know, we have to make it. You know, so. Well, what what kind of clients do you have? Uh, it's all over the place. Uh, one of our last clients, he was into restaurant business. So we do like lead generation and he wanted fine dining such as caviar, saffron, mm, this special Norwegian crap that I can't even pronounce, but he wanted restaurants for that and we tried to help him with that. It was pretty tough, you know, but uh, it's all over the place. One time we were trying to work with this car dealer guy, sometimes uh, recruiters, and it's more the, the tools or, you know, the system that we have to provide the lead generation. We're still polishing that, you know? If you're so, doing copywriting and lead generation, why don't you make a product for yourself and do copywriting around that? You do a little bit of that with your course, with your writing course. We were, we were spitballing on that. To be honest, James, if you want to talk about that, my bro, he's the business creative savant on that, you know? I give, I give respect to him. Like, if you were to have him on the show, like, in terms of marketing, he's like, how do I say it? He's like a, not a savant, but like a creative genius. So... If he hears an offer or something, he can instantly feel what the trajectory is, how many money he's gonna make, how successful, you know? So, he's, so I say, bro, why don't we make a SaaS? You know, everybody's making SaaS. He's not, now you need the capital first, but you know? And he, he gets that instantly. My intuition's more geared towards, well, facilitating people, uh, like the brokering. I think I have that with uh, the, the, the network is your network kind of vibe. I meet a lot of people because of my passions, you know, like traveling and stuff like that. And sometimes I can connect to people by accent a little bit and maybe my personality as well or something. And I meet a lot of people, you know, so. Like now you've written a couple of novels that are published. You can find them on Amazon, yeah. but you should write a, a book, like a nonfiction book that has your stories plus some of your principles about like call it the authentic man or something like that. Oh, actually, and... a funny, funny thing about that, James. I wrote this in my journal a couple pages back. I had that epiphany. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. You just told you that because yeah. you've got 17,000 followers, they're growing every day. And when I, and a lot of people have a million followers, but no loyal followers. Yeah. Your followers are very loyal. Yeah. And for, for good reason, they respect what you have to say and they're, they're learning from it. So it feels like you should feed them more. Yeah. Like don't just feed them tweets. Yeah. They're hungry. Yeah. So <laughs> they want, they want a full meal. Thanks so much. Yeah. So I was basically just giving them appetizers the whole time. It was a little bit. I'm going to be candid with you, you know, I know you're all about that, you know, being like heartfelt, bleeding all over the page and stuff like that. It's more so, how do I say this? My interests are so broad that I have to kind of specialize for a social media platform audience to create like a product, right? Because mm. sometimes I'm all over the place, you know, I read like a blog piece about quantum physics. Next time I'm reading a blog piece about art, 
you cannot um, repackage that or productize that, right? However, in this case, what you just mentioned, I can productize myself, so to say. And I had that uh, eureka moment, though. So to, to, to shout out to another Bushido book, Hagakure by Yamamoto Tsunetomo. It's famous amongst the samurai book lovers, so uh, people should read that. I had that idea because it's basically 1,300 short texts that have no connection with each other, very non sequitur, but the underlying tone is Bushido, you know? So, for example, if somebody slides you, just whip out your samurai sword and cut him in half, something like that. So, wait, on that one, on that one, what's the modern example of that? Like, you're not going to whip out a sword and cut them in half. What will you do? What's modern Bushido? I would say if a person dishonored you or slighted you in such a fashion, you can either do either of two things. If he's going to be in your social influence long, let's say he can gossip to other people and stuff like that, and it would impede on you in a 4D chess kind of threat fashion, you have to play a little bit slow game. You can plan your revenge later. It's quite Machiavellian or dark triad. That's not for everybody because you're going to be fuming and smoldering with a kind of, well, fury or hate that can eat some people up. However, that's not for everybody. Or you could just have boundaries and say, hey, I, I don't really like that. And, you know, I don't think, you know, you can be quite candid or say it in a more indirect way. Some people are very socially attuned to using such phrases, but I would kind of like cut off, you know, uh, unfollow them on Instagram or something like that. Or to, to, to put it a little bit hard, just throw the number away. Just, you know, don't talk to them a little bit and just let it play out by itself and just stop giving and feeding attention to that. That's what I would do from a non-toxic point of view to, to, to keep it healthy. I think, I think that's the key because right? I think in today's social media, everybody thinks that everything they say should be reacted to. And if you don't react, that's like slicing them in half. Yeah, that's, a, that's another uh, Chinese principle. It's like uh, Wu Wei. It's just let go with the flow. That aligns more with Taoism, that, you know, the ebbs and flow of life, because Tao means wave, and lives have waves, ups and downs. And these stimuli are ups and downs and waves. It, it, it comes crashing like a crescendo. And you just have to ride the wave like a surfer. You feel it and just catch and release. I love that word, like catch and release. Let's say he gives you negative energy, a little bit spiteful. You, you, maybe you catch it, but you can let go. You just release it, you know? You don't have to do anything. You're just riding it. You're riding the, this dark age that we're in, the Kali Yuga. Too, but that's, yeah. And in the reality transurfing sense, you don't have, he's trying to put you on his pendulum. Right? You don't have to exactly. get on his pendulum. Yeah. 99% of the people, I don't like their pendulums. I'm not saying that to their face, but I'm like, I'm dipping like, yo, I'm not touching that, you know? I'm not even... I'm not even giving one molecule of oxygenated glucose, like the, the brain energy. You know, if you were to have like an fMRI, like a spike yeah. or something, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm like, I'm on the Altisher show or something, you know? That's what I like. I'm there. That person's gone. And what's another example of modern Bushido? Loyalty. Most people can never understand that, either culturally or, you know, nature versus nurture kind of beat. Uh, of course, epigenetics exists, but uh, somehow they can't cater to loyalty. Coming back like a little bit full circle or tying it to what we said before, there are some things I promised to people, and if I said that I was going to be loyal to them, I'll be loyal in as to what I said to them, and I'm going to try to deliver on that promise or quote-unquote, die trying, you know? And I don't know. And I'm not talking about a mono, a monogamous, faithful, loyalty kind of relationship, not romantic and sexual stuff like that, to each their own different styles, but I'm talking about living up to your word that it is bond. I do not say something half-heartedly. That's also modern Bushido, but it's from that book as well, uh, the Hagakuri that we're talking about. If you say something, your spirit, he talks about the spirit, can be felt in each word that you say or your measure. That's a little bit also with that presence to come back to that tonality thing that we were talking about, you know? When I say something, they think, oh, this guy's for real, you know? I have a little bit of issues with that when I try to crack a joke, I have to do like a lopsided smirk. I'm not good at smiling, you know? Um, they were like, oh, is he joking now? Or is he serious? But when I say something I'm, that I'm serious about, I'm gonna try to do it. Or I'll keep my mouth shut because people are going to try to catch me on that, you know? Uh, walk the talk, kind of be like, hey, Fury said that, blah, blah, you know? Uh, he said he was going to be in the alter show. Probably right now, uh, you know, to feed the haters a little for one second, they were thinking, nah, he's not going to do it. He's going to choke. He's going to miss his flight. I'm like, no, bro. 
this is clutch. This is NBA Finals. I'm Michael Jordan, you know? Like, I'm going to hit it. You know, I'm there. So. Well, and it seems also with the modern Bushido, honesty is, which is related to loyalty, of course, honesty is a very important thing. And I feel in today's society, yeah, people think they're telling the truth, but they're not really. They're not really saying what they like and what they think. Like if you're in a business meeting with your boss and your boss says, what do you think of this? You might hate it and you might be bored to death. Yeah. Or, or, or there's so many instances where people tell, let's say 80% of the truth, not 100%. And I think when you're constantly slicing away 20%, eventually you become less than, than who you should be. Yeah. I can never look myself in the mirror if I do that. You know, That's what you know, we were talking about, living true to yourself. If I keep doing that, I keep self-compromising on myself. I have compromised in the past. I'm only human. But if I keep doing it, I won't believe myself anymore. I, I, if you can't believe yourself, then who's going to believe in you in the end, you know? So maybe your mother, your, some mothers always love you, but, um, you know. But, but I wonder, like, yeah. I feel like we're, we're too trained to not be honest. We don't even know that we're not being honest. Yeah. I wonder if there are little ways to practice honesty. Like real honesty mm, and was, not radical honesty where you say everything on your mind, yeah, but like yeah, yeah. real, mm. like my word is, is law. To, to, to not dox my friend, but I talk with a certain bro in the Netherlands a lot because I left the country. But um, he said he was going to do something, but he didn't do it. And those are those little steps. It was just something to give a, a tangent example is something like I'm going to stop drinking coffee because I feel it gives me anxiety. You know, some people have that. Then he says, yo, Brother Fury, I'm going to stop drinking coffee. Oh, actually, yeah, that's actually what he said. It's not that harmful if I share that. I'm going to stop drinking coffee for seven days. Guess what? He didn't do it. And I said, okay, uh, like, look, in Dutch, like, look, that, that's wrong, bro, because I know you. This is not the first thing that you told me that accountability partner kind of beat. You know, I'm not up for that. I'm not your babysitter. I said that to him. I'm like, because he's my bro, I said that to very, like, radical honesty. But for him himself, what he can say to himself, you know, with himself, being honest with himself, you know, man in the mirror kind of beat or uh, more the stoic philosophy, start from your own center. If you say you're going to stop drinking coffee or you're going to go the paleo diet, do a little bit reductionist elimination diet because you feel your gut is all over the freaking place, you know, cleanse that. I said, for example, uh, since March that I was going to try a new ballistic way of living to see what kind of moonshots I can put out. Well, I'm now on the Altisha show. You know, that was just luck, you know, like, like play, uh, trying to play a uh, baccarat, like uh, 20 hands, like a uh, full, sh you know, full, uh, full nines the whole time. Like, you know, a little bit like gambling with my lifestyle, so to say, you know. Yeah, but I wonder if there's a way to give like, mm. like for him, he okay. could have do seven straight days okay. in a row of no coffee. Okay. Maybe he should have done two. Yeah. Like th there should be like little challenges you could make to practice the honesty thing. And then you could build up confidence that, oh, yeah. I could do what I say. And it gives you more confidence mm -hmm. in your words. Because maybe, maybe you start off not believing in yourself after a while, and then you lose that ability to, to say truth. Yeah. Uh, to tie it back, it's also like a micro-commitment, right? To, for yourself. Mm, for example, there, was one there were multiple requests, what cigar is Fury going to smoke on the show? There was another request, of course, because of my brand. He has to say on brand. That what whis which whiskey is he going to drink? However, I thought to myself, uh, I promised that to myself as well, to stop um, perpetually drinking for no reason because it's copium, heavy cope, you know, go to Copeville. And uh, it's just a small promise you make to yourself, just skip the drink, right? Just skip one drink. And um, I don't have any booze in my house, right? You can work with your environment, a small tangent. Don't buy candy if you're uh, an incessant candy cookie eater kind of stuff. Don't have it in the house. I think it's one of those productivity tricks, right? Environment beats willpower kind of beat, you know? That's why, coming back to loyalty, it's nice if you have a nice mainstay girlfriend or spouse or brothers who would die for you and you for them because it's the, the, the five people around you, is, you are the average of the five people around you kind of beat, you know? And coming back to those kind of stuff. Bro, I live alone, it's super quiet, I don't have um, a girlfriend or anything to impede on my, you know? Th th that's for me, so to say, you know? And I don't have cookies in my house. I don't like even cookies, but let's say I would like that. But for with the booze or something. Or I don't even buy cigars because I know I'm going to smoke them the whole time. Chain smoke them, you know. I don't buy them. It's a special occasion. I buy it. That's something else, you know. And it's with manipulating your environment or um, 
if people love tricks. The proximity productivity trick, my guitar's right there. Every morning I wake up, play, uh, I promise myself, play one song. One song turns into three songs, and that's how you build the habit, you know? And sometimes then after three songs, I time it. <clears throat> and I know that after 30 minutes, I get into the flow. So three songs is three times 10. I can go from 30 minutes after flow, then you go into five songs. And then I know I have to stop because you're wasting energy or you're wasting the day or something. Then it's not anymore what you promised to yourself. So that's a concoction of heavy journaling that I have and being very observant of my own patterns. I love to cap, uh, capture patterns in my journal, you know? I, I journal every five seconds and I'm making mental notes the whole time, you know? Like I probably have like a drop down list, like folders in my head, but to each their own. They can use Notion or, you know, whatever, Evernote. Do, do, do hold yourself accountable, you know? So that's, that's. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like if you want to write every day, hmm. you don't have to write a, a novel a day. You don't even have to write a story a day. I tell like my daughter mm -hmm. who who's, wants to be a writer, yep. Just write even like a paragraph. Yeah. And to your point in one of your threads, mm -hmm. just write how you speak. Even dictate word for word a conversation you had with somebody. Just a paragraph. Yeah. And then you wrote. You're done. You did your job for that day. Yeah. Uh, to people listening, I still do that. I say to myself, minimum 200 words a day. Uh, if I'm feeling it, 500. And on a very productive days, that transforms, you know. But there, uh, of course, I have off days. But it's still 200. I like to put in the reps. And, you know, same with trying to stay healthy in terms of physical fitness, you know. I resonate heavy with that. Yeah, like, let's say, oh, yeah, what do you do for your, your health? Mm, just What's like, your health regimen? It's not that good, so you, you should definitely get other people on, that, on, on, the, on the show for that. <laughs> but uh, I do just like uh, weightlifting, uh, compound lifts, you know. I love the sitting overhead press. I'm trying to get nice shoulders. And I, because it's summer where we are. I'm going for that, well, not white boy summer that wouldn't apply for me, but I'm working like my, my biceps and triceps right now and reducing fat heavily. So like that would be a keto diet, kind of, keto, ketogenic diet for those un, uh, unfamiliar and paleo diet. And well, I just had a wedding, so I was boozing, but I, I'm not, I wasn't even drinking for, uh, I had a tread as well, 20 days sober. It was a little bit tongue in cheek because people were probably rolling when they saw that tread. Like, what did he do? You know, like as a, like, as a homage to myself, but uh you know, so I try to stay with a clean diet, basically, you know, because it's summer and I try to work on that as well. I think also it keeps the brain clean when you have a clean diet. Yeah, 100%. Uh, like whenever I'm going to play, like in a chess tournament, yeah. for instance, I, I go keto at least for the week beforehand and, and during. Like I'm just eating protein yeah. and uh, very few, very little of carbs or anything like that you, you, just because i know for myself i'll get sluggish while i'm playing exactly and i won't play as well exactly so you you, you have to have like a reason to doing it like if i was just going to say oh i want to do it to be healthy that might not be actually be a good enough reason for me mm -hmm. like i could say to myself oh i'm healthy enough i don't have to care but but for if there's something i really want mm -hmm. and i then i then i do what it, it takes to get it yeah, I feel you on that, James. Because otherwise I won't get it. Yeah, exactly. It's very important to you, you know? You want to win the games, and for the games you have to think clearly. And you don't want brain fog, brain mud, those kind of stuff. And oh, to, to, to come back to keeping my own word, I wanted to be my full self in terms of the eclectic like information I can piece together from my mind. Right before this conversation, I left for the wedding, but I left a bottle of vitamin B1, which is thiamine. Shout out to the late uh, John McAfee. He was heavy on that, you know? It's very healthy for your mind. I kept the ball of there, and I knew I was going to go, come home and have the podcast, made a cup of coffee. I swallowed like five pills or, you know, I took a heroic dose of vitamin B1, <laughs> you know? Does that help in the short term? In the short term, I would say. But if you do it consistently, I've been doing it consistently a long time now, a couple of months. Yo, uh, to, oh, uh, since you're a chess player, you will get this. Some people are not, uh, let's say your classic rating is really good, but they're not good bullet players, right? You know, one minute, it's different style thinking. Yeah, yeah. And for the way I wanted to live my life in this mini experiment that I was doing these last couple of months, I wanted to be, make rapid decisions as if I was playing bullet chess games with my life. Vitamin B1 has been helping with that. I was saying to my bros, like, bro, my risk taking is insane, you know? I make, I, it's dumb maybe, you know? Because when you're gambling, you lose as well, of course. But uh, that type of intelligence uh, is maybe short-lived, but uh, it was going well for me. And it's one. Oh, vitamin B1, good. I'm going to try that. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, plus, so caffeine, what, plus caffeine. What's next for uh, plus you? Plus caffeine, uh, James. I didn't drink coffee at all during this tournament. Mm. 
because I felt it would make me too wired and that I would take too many risks. Um, a tip for that, James. Well, I can show you actually since it's pretty cool. We, can, we have video. Uh, I have coffee here, but caffeine uh -huh. gives the spike, right? You said wired, right? However, you have to mix it with yeah. green tea, which gives L-theanine, and the spike then gets blunted. And I've been heavy experimented with that as well. And I go to a club or something, and I order two things, like first coffee and then green tea. And I, if I'm like going ballistic, I order maybe an espresso, but balance it back with green tea. And one bro was like, bro, why are you doing that? I said, bro, it's the, the caffeine L-theanine combination. You know, we're in the Twitter sphere. We constantly see these little cool things, but why are we not doing it? I'm like, yo, bro, I'm at the club. I need to be, you know, 169% the whole time, you know? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try that. I never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, that one is my personal concoction. I've never seen anybody like you know whip that out consistently. You know, so I wonder how it would taste if you mix them. <laughs> Even I haven't done that. I, I do chase them though. But I'll actually I'll try that. You know why not? You know why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or iced iced it might be good. That's interesting. Yeah, I once heard somebody was mix. Oh. I think it was the, the creator of um, the Ethereum, Vitalik. He mixes red wine with green tea on ice. I had never heard that. That was an insane combo. Like, bro. That's genius because the wine makes you lose inhibitions, mm -hmm. but it might make you a little tired. Exactly. So it's better to be have the energy at a party, but have less inhibitions. Yeah, it's genius. I was like, and he's an awkward guy, so it works for him probably. I'm gonna try these stuff, James. I'm gonna experiment on it. I'm gonna, you know, uh, email you or DM you like how it's going. You know, <laughs> it seems like the the in the in today's world, a life of of balanced experiments. I mean, you don't want to experiment with like jumping off a building, yeah. but a life of balanced experiments is the best way to move forward because so much is unknown. Mm -hmm. Like like all information is a commodity now. So our jobs really is to is to explore the frontier of information, and you can only do that through experiments yeah. now. Uh, iterative feedback loops. You have to experiment with yourself yeah. as if a scientist. And once you get new data, I love data. That's why I have infinite journals everywhere. I keep a dream journal, you know, journals everywhere, paper everywhere. It's data, you know, good or bad, wins or losses, you know, it's data, and you put that back in the feedback loop. And that's why I've been maybe accelerating, you know, um, more pristinely. And yeah, well, to answer your question, um, what's next, you know? I don't know if it's my place to share this, but uh, one of my favorite pieces of you, James, is uh, the chess match or chess battle that you had with the late Emery Tate. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful piece in a more poetic sense. You know, I really felt that. Yeah, I, it's so funny. I was just thinking about him yesterday because I, I played him in washington dc in i think it was 1997 august mm -hmm. and that tournament i saw is coming up again it's like 20 you know 50, 25 years later it's yeah. coming up in august and i saw and i was just thinking about him because that's the one game i remember from that tournament i'm going to play in that again in that game again i was going to write to his son actually and yeah. tell him i'm going to play in this 25th anniversary of the first time i played him you should uh because I wanted to share, I spoke with them, you know, I am slightly acquainted with them. I met uh, the younger brother a um, couple of months ago, and um, I thought it was a nice thematic um, connection that you and I have. So you met the father, and I met the son, you know. I, yeah. spoke, I spoke to him about his dad and those games, and specifically that game of yours, I brought up that blog piece, how it made me feel, you know, stuff like that. And so I thought I wanted to share that, you know, that... You know, they, they seem to have their life in check in terms of what they're gunning for. And that's the next level for me as well. Not per se that I have to have like a flexing kind of life, but trying to deliver on the promise um, that I made. Yeah. yeah, and his son's like a world kickboxing champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also, you know, he's doing good with TikTok. Interesting. He has a good TikTok marketing campaign these days, so it's going well for him. Well, uh... Listen, Fury, mm -hmm. anytime yeah. you want, come on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Anything you got going, yeah. you can come on and, and talk about. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you very much. And yes. if there's something you're putting out there and marketing and selling and like, you know, when you write your book on yeah. the authentic man yeah. and, and the modern Bushido man. I love that. Yeah, come man. on the podcast and we'll, we'll talk about it. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. You got to do it now. Yeah. Because no one's written a book like that, I don't think. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for the tip. And, and, and Fury, it's been great having you on the, the no, podcast. I'm, Again, come on anytime. I'm extremely honored as hell. Like, I was surprised. It's one of the bigger opportunities of my life, you know. So huge respect to you. Huge shout out to you, James. Thank you very much. 
No, and look, it's part of this idea of there's a lot of podcasts out there that have like presidents or the greatest athletes in the world, yeah. but it's hard for people to relate to whoever the most famous persons in the world are. Yeah. And it's good to talk to people who are really challenging themselves yeah. and trying to make it and, and they're in the process rather than having completed the process. Because yeah. I, I think when you're on the other side, you don't always have the perspective that you had when you're on the journey. Because the journey's hard. Yeah. And people forget that. Yeah, so it's nice if they were get to reacquainted with the journey, you know, the trenches, you know. Because that's the fire. Yeah, oh yeah, I love that part. Yeah, I love the part in Choose Yourself, the fire, yeah. And and Masoshi, uh, Miyamoto, the guy who wrote the Book of Five Rings, he he always kept that fire. He would, you know, if he felt he was losing, he'd go into a cave and fight. Oh, you, oh um, if you like um, the end of his life, you should check out the biography written by William Wilson. It's called The Lone Samurai. It uh, dictates the last part of his life when he goes into a cave. It's uh, almost like a hermit, you know, hermit finish. It's pretty cool. I won't spoil it. You should check it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. I, I'm familiar with his, his last two years. He wrote, he basically wrote his, his book those last two years and then died. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was interesting. But um, all right, sir, thanks so much. Thank and you, hopefully you'll come on the podcast again. Thank you very much. James. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much, sir.